Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to the Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Discover a different kind of dark. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Yes, and I'm a new woman, as I hope many of you are. Uh, I know not all of you because we're still waiting for appointments, but I managed to get my hair done. Thank you very much, Hermans on Grafton Street. You magical people. My grey roots are gone. It has definitely given me a bit of an extra spring in my step. It really is the little things. I don't think we really appreciated hairdressers as much as we do now. Um, I had these really long grey roots, but I was kind of, you know, okay with them. And it was, it is a kind of nice reminder of of who you really are and what your hair is really like. But I am glad to have got some nice um, blondy bits in. I don't think I'll be doing my roots as often as I used to because uh, that's one thing I learned in lockdown. It doesn't really matter if you've got grey roots. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, like I hope some of you have had appointments, but more importantly, I hope some of you have plans to see the people in your lives that you haven't been able to see because of lockdown. Because we can travel now, we can go to any county in Ireland. And I know there's lots of people with families that they haven't been able to be with. And that is such an amazing thing. So I hope you enjoy those reunions when they happen. Uh, I'm off on my holliers on Friday. I'm going to La Hinch and I will be there to do our big night in on Saturday night with our brilliant guest, Senator Lynn Ruan. So it's going to be Big Night Into the West. And if you'd like to join us, uh, just go to our Instagram page at IT Women's Podcast and let us know that you want to come and join us for the Big Night Into the West and we'll send you a link. I'm going to be talking to Lynn Ruan, uh, Senator, elected again, which is great news. Uh, I'm going to be talking to her about class, parenthood, politics, about her brilliant book, People Like Me, and about her obsession with Housewives of New York. So we're going to get through a lot and she's always thought provoking and entertaining. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, in today's episode, we hear from Vumzilla Malambo Naguka of UN Women about how the pandemic is affecting women and girls. I mean, there's such a close relationship between racial discrimination and gender discrimination. You see the same pattern all over again. All in the end, it means that... uh, the one person's quality of life is significantly compromised. But first, this has been a difficult time for artists and performers and for musicians who no longer have a physical audience and have been prevented from going to work in the way they used to. Megan O'Neill is a talented singer-songwriter who's about to release a new song, Fire With Fire, which takes inspiration from the way women in the music industry are often pitted against each other. She came on the podcast to tell me about it and I began by asking her about how she came up with the song. Megan, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for Fire With Fire, your new song. I wrote this song with 
Orla Gartland, who a lot of people are going to know that name. She's an amazing Irish singer-songwriter. And we were in the session and we were kind of just speaking about this, you know, batting women against women in the music industry. And that there is a sense of competitiveness, of course, in this industry. But also, I think, because there's um, limited opportunities for women. And so, therefore less places um we've been made to believe there's less places for us and so there can be like an unhealthy competition between women in the music industry so that was our inspiration behind the song i was thinking listening to it and we might hear just a little bit of it now actually While I was listening to it, I was thinking about Lana Del Rey and her recent Instagram post where she's talking about different women in the music industry. And uh, she got a lot of stick for it um, for various reasons. Was that in your mind or was that just happened afterwards? I actually haven't even seen it. Ah. <laughs> so I must go check it out. Um, but I, I hope that I don't get stick for it. I don't know if her um, post was dealing with the same things, but... This this song is like absolutely not directed to all women. I have so many amazing friends in the music industry that are just incredible women. And um, it's not directed at everyone. There are a lot of women that work together and pick each other up. Just look at, you know, the collaboration of all the Irish female artists on that song Dreams, which was amazing. There's a lot of that, a lot more of that recently where women are are kind of rallying together and picking each other up. Um, but you do get, you know, <laughs> the odd, not so nice one. Well, actually, I should say about the Lana Del Rey, for her, it was more about the industry, the industry sort of pitting women against each other and also comparing and treating some artists differently to other ones. Um, and she was particularly referring to kind of uh, people who are expressive in a sexual way. Some people being criticised for that and other people not being criticised for that. But I think one of the reasons she got stick was because the women she mentioned were a lot of them were women of colour. And I think people, it was unfortunate that she did that, but she didn't do it on purpose. But then, you know, with the current situation that's going on is she got a bit of stick but what are your examples when you think of women who you know women are pitted against each other or what kind of sparked it in real life for you there's so many elements to this that it's actually hard to like wrap it up in a in a small amount of time but I think when I was starting out in the industry and I would release music and it wouldn't get picked up I put that down to me not being good enough and I think, and maybe I wasn't like, there's, there's a, a full chance that I just wasn't good enough for that radio spot or that festival that I was going for. But I'd be really interested to know if it was a male with exactly the same song and exactly the same production and exactly the same age and stance and whatever, would they have gotten it? And I think with women, it's like, there's, there are less opportunities. There are more now, they're growing all the time, but there are less and there have been less in the past. And I'd be really interested to know how many women have given up because they've convinced themselves they're not good enough because they haven't received the same opportunities. Mm. And I think this song kind of came about because there have been experiences for me um, and I think for a lot of female artists and musicians where 
really we should be sticking together and we should be fighting for each other and we should be batting for each other. Um, and I know it's a competitive industry. I know there's comparison everywhere. Um, and we are kind of pushed against each other and compared against each other. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had experiences where you'd have women give you ill advice, where you'd have women try and um, bring you down and, and criticize what you're doing because they believe there's, well, I hope I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt in thinking they believe there's only a set amount of spaces for all of us. And so there's not room for us both. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And I suppose when you're in that, um, because of patriarchy and because of the way things are set up, it's it's hard not to feel like that, I imagine, for a lot of uh, female artists. But as you say, when people come together, like for the dreams thing, it's really beautiful. It's something really gorgeous to to look at. Um, but how have you been getting on in lockdown generally? Because it's a quite a difficult time for anyone whose job is to have audiences, you know, whether it's theatre or music or comedy or all those things. So how's it been for you? It's definitely been a shift. <laughs> and I think for me, I had the busiest year of my entire career plan. There was over a hundred shows. We were touring all over the world. Um, I was, well, I still am releasing an album, but obviously there was going to be album tours to go along with it. So it's been difficult. Um, but actually it's given me a little bit of space to stand back and get perspective on why I do what I do and kind of fall in love with it all over again actually because sometimes when you're just running the race and you're and you're kind of like fighting in the music industry which is what you have to do all the time you don't stand back and appreciate how far you've come you don't stand back and question if you actually want half of the things you're chasing anymore <laughs> because you started that journey at 18 or 19 and do you still want what, you know, what you wanted then? So there's been time to sit back and think there's been time to change my perspective and change my outlook. And, um, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I am still doing online gigs and people are tuning in and they're loving it. And we've kind of rescheduled a lot of my touring to next year. Um, so it's really tough, but you know, a little bit of time to be reflective, which is never a bad thing. And what about creativity? Have you been writing a lot of songs? So the first month or so, I was like, yeah, so much time at home. I'm going to write so many songs. And then the second month, I hit that wall of like, how long is this going to last? Like, are we, is this going to be the rest of the year? And um, then I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Um, I was just fed up with everything. And now I kind of feel like I've got my mojo back. So I'm doing loads of writing again and obviously releasing this song and um, plans to release the album in October. So now I'm just kind of writing for the next one, which will hopefully start recording early next year. Brilliant. Well, it's a great message. Basically, women support each other rather than tearing each other down. And there's also room for everyone. I mean, there is room for everybody. And it is patriarchy that has sort of made people think that, you know, there's room for loads of men, but only a few women. We just have to change that and change our thinking. We, don't, we shouldn't buy into it, I think, is what I'm saying. Um, but it's a gorgeous song, and we'll just hear a little bit more of it before um, we'll say goodbye to you now. But thank you so much, Megan. It's lovely to have you on the podcast again.
was Megan O'Neill and Fire With Fire will be out later this month. It's a great song and she is a really wonderful artist. So we're delighted to support her. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Blacks, a rich, smooth and truly delicious chocolate experience. Now, no pandemic is gender neutral and neither is COVID-19. Fumzilla Malambo Naguka is the executive director of UN Women and she spoke to me from South Africa about the three areas where women and girls are particularly at risk in the current crisis. Domestic violence, frontline work, the majority of workers there are women and of course financially. Previously, Malambo Naguka served as deputy president of South Africa, the first woman to hold that position and at that point, the highest ranking woman in the history of South Africa. So here she is, a very impressive woman with a lot to say about the ways women's lives are being negatively affected by the pandemic. Fumzilla Malambo Naguka. Fumzilla, thank you very much for coming on to the Women's Podcast. We're going to talk about the ways in which uh, the pandemic is affecting women variously, like economically, in terms of domestic violence and other ways. Um, Can you talk to us about the three main ways that women are being more affected in this crisis? It's something we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but it's really interesting to get the international perspective on that. Yeah, well, uh, the first and most worrying aspect is uh, the violence, because many countries had to lock down. It left many women living with their abusers with little room to maneuver because they couldn't go out. And we were ourselves, UN Women and many other organizations engaged with governments to make sure that uh, women have a passage out and service providers and social workers and NGOs who deal with the issues of GBV could reach women in their homes. So the domestic violence has been quite a challenge, increase of about 30% in some countries. In some parts of Australia, had even some higher, up to about 40%. And of course, uh, children as well. We pushed for hotlines, shelters, and uh, it was difficult because governments were, were moving the money from shelters to provide uh, places to isolate uh, corona patients. Then economically, Uh, The majority of the women who work outside the home, especially in developing countries, work in open spaces. Uh, People could not be in open spaces and trade because they had to be locked in somewhere. And they're in the informal sector. And as you know, many women don't have massive savings. Uh, They don't have jobs with enforceable contracts. They also are very much... uh, uh, represented in the service sector, which is hard hit by the pandemic, such as tourism, hospitality, and it's waitressing, it's casual jobs. So that too has been quite uh, difficult. And for countries that are providing stimulus, those stimulus are not well targeted to women. So that's been a, a, a big challenge. But then there's been the burden of care it's already disproportionately a responsibility of women to provide unpaid care at home. And now uh, women were also caring for sick people in situations where people were sick at home. It's the women and girls who look after the sick people. And like men as well, uh, women have also been uh, you know, uh, 
both is scared and as well as they, where there has been death in families, dealing with a lot of grief. And I'm, I'm actually thinking that there's just going to be so much grief in the world. This is something that we really have to see how we're going to have to deal with to make people cope. And people haven't been able to grieve properly to express that grief, you know, because funerals have been curtailed and all of that thing. So I think you're right. It's going to be, you know, you can't push grief down. It's going to come out some way. And we could be seeing a lot of that. I think something we need to look out for. When you talk about these issues, whether it's economically domestic violence, the women on the front line in healthcare, what is the UN trying to do um, to make sure that, that those women are kind of looked after and supported? Is there any way to make sure that the fact that women are uh, affected in these ways, that they can also be um, helped? Well, uh, it is uh, together with the WHO, we deal with the uh, ministries concerned in different countries, but actually the allies that are really uh, strong and reliable allies on issues such as this is is uh, civil society, because they are advocates. We work therefore through and with uh, civil society in, in in many cases, because where you have uh, difficulties, you need to persuade. So you need to bring some civil society along in countries where there is already cooperation and efforts being made by the government, then it's not so difficult. Uh, you know, you, you, all, you are all working along. And of course, in the case of representation of women in leadership, uh, in, so for instance, in the health sector, where women are the largest cohort of people who are employed in the sector, but uh, they dwindled once you get to the top. I mean, we've not been able to turn that around because I guess it's just been a focus on dealing with the crisis itself. But this is something that uh, we are saying has to be given attention. You know, you know, building back better, as we say, after this crisis, it, has, it will have to be about looking at these issues and making the changes. And we know that more men have died and are dying from COVID, but that also has an effect on women too. Can you talk a bit about that? people, older women particularly, being widowed? Mm, yes. So more men have died from the disease itself and people have not been able to say goodbye, as we were talking before, not been able to grieve. And uh, if there are men with jobs still who are active, it's another loss in the family. But even if they are older, uh, clearly it's, it's, it's a loss. So women now are, are having to depend on their children. And, and sometimes that's not a good option for women. They, certain, they suddenly have to make arrangements for their living arrangements uh, going forward. But women who are, I mean, amongst health workers, there has been more women dying also. 70% of the health workers who died are women, for instance, in Italy. So that, I guess, also shows the prominent and the level of engagement of women as health workers that so many of them died as you know 85% of nurses are, are women so that too has been a quite a sad and women are also cleaners they are also cooks so they are quite close to all aspects of the hospital and also when they're just going back to the more men dying aspect when those men died there the women are often left um, economically then 
in difficult situations, say without pensions or, you know, without the income that perhaps the man was providing. No, exactly, exactly. And they now have to either depend on their children and families, see how they are going to navigate the state. Uh, Not an easy thing to do itself. Sometimes the children can step up, sometimes the children don't. Okay. Um, Just on a separate matter, you've also spoken recently about Black Lives Matter and with the death of George Floyd um, and the crisis in America around race and racism. What's your... uh, Thoughts on that at the moment, um, in terms of maybe how the UN need to to really work towards ending systemic racism. Well, uh, in the first place, uh, the UN has to be part of this, but I don't think that the UN has the capacity to do this by itself, because uh, this is something that the people themselves have to fight for and win. But the UN has to call on this as a violation of rights. Uh, has to call on call for policies uh, that are uh, uh, enabling, uh, that deal with the prejudice that affects uh, black people. Because uh, in many cases, racism is deadly, as we have seen in the case of the UN. The discrimination, just like we say about women, it hits people economically, whether it is the unequal pay, limited opportunities, limited access to good education, houses, housing and shelter, health. You see, black people have been dying of corona in higher numbers uh, than their white compatriots. So all of those things, they have a knock-on effect on each other. It's systemic. So we have to deal with these underlying conditions uh, that affect black people. I mean, there's such a close relationship between racial discrimination and gender discrimination. You see the same pattern all over again. All in the end, it means that uh, the one person's quality of life is significantly compromised. And Vimzina, just in recent times, do you feel that this this movement against racism is different to maybe things that have happened before? From looking at it from the outside, uh, looking at the American marches and everything, there seems to be more white people engaging. It seems to have been a more mainstream movement than ever before. Does that give you hope as a woman of colour, of someone who's obviously been discriminated against in different ways through your life? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's encouraging to see that people are seeing the same thing. Because, I mean, it's not like all white people are racist, but uh, people have maybe been indifferent and kind of like uh, bystanders, if people get involved, uh, that makes the movement to be bigger, that makes the movement to have more voices and diversity. And it is, it is a good thing. That was our experience in South Africa, that the more diverse the movement against anti-apartheid was, the more louder and amplified the voices were. So are you hopeful that this might change something? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. It's, it's, it's important to not give up uh, and to continue to make the demands, to be clear about uh, you know, what is the red line. really have to crystallize the demands so that uh, you are able then uh, to, to make uh, the demand very clear. Just going back to what you said about civil society's role in, in, the, in terms of women and the pandemic and, and making things better, if we were to talk to our Irish um, listeners to this podcast, of course, we have people all over the world listening. 
But what can people do? Is there things that individuals can do if they notice these inequalities, particularly with COVID, whether it's with the healthcare workers or the domestic violence issue or economically? How would you advise people to engage with these issues and to support, um, you know, women who are particularly affected? Uh, I would direct them firstly to civil society who are in the front line in their own rights. They also tend to be in shorts and in need of resources. So people who want to make a contribution, they can make contribution to civil society. And also uh, civil society sometimes need uh, help, just uh, people to come and work with them uh, so people can volunteer to provide help. People are hungry in many countries. Uh, if people can do something about organizing food parcels to take to, to, to people, but also at a policy uh, level, engage with their public representatives who have a possibility to make things happen, to make uh, changes happen. Uh, some of the changes may not be changes that uh, will happen and will uh, make a difference immediately, but you could begin some of the changes that we have to, to uh, make for the way, how are we going to go forward? So that when we're saying that we're talking about the new normal, we're not going back after COVID to the status quo because the status quo we have now and we've had before COVID was not a good status quo. The new normal has to be about something new. So we must define what is this new normal that we want, which is different from where we started, which was always wrong, which has been exposed in COVID. And uh, we need to bring together people uh, have brilliant ideas. They are thought leaders. They need to bring their thinking together to say, we cannot go back to this. We must go to that. Um, from Zilla, you're in Johannesburg there. And how has lockdown been for you personally? What what have you found? Have you learned anything about yourself at this time? Well, firstly, it's been good that I was able to leave New York and to come here and to be locked down uh, in South Africa. Well, I think one thing that I've learned that uh, I don't really like to be just dealing with colleagues and people on virtual platforms. I really, really miss uh, human contacts and uh, seeing and doing things uh, um, with colleagues. But also, I, I think that uh, I have also discovered that I struggle to uh, work and live in the same place. I think uh, I'm, I'm someone, I, I have concluded, I just need some demarcation between home and work because then it just becomes a continuous uh, thing and then you just become cranky because you, you have no, no, no boundaries. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm not complaining too much because uh, I had shelter. Some people don't have even shelter. It also is another uh, uh, way that you see how much lucky you are and you imagine people who don't have it's winter also in South Africa so it's very cold so shelter is very important at this time and um, it's really been a, a time also to just to reflect to be to connect with the family I've never been in my own house this long ever ever uh, I uh, that's what I that I was surprised about do you have children um from Zilla yes yes how old are your children well, they are, they are older, they are married. Only one is still at home. Others are, are living in their own homes. 
Okay, so you don't have to worry about them. Yeah, no, 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 thank God. Tell me about your life in New York. Were you living that New York Manhattan life before this then? Your life has changed quite a bit in terms of your day-to-day life. Uh, Well, yes, I'll see when I get back to New York. I haven't been to New York since Corona, but uh, I imagine that uh, everyone's life has to change. You have to count the number of people you get into an elevator with. You, you know, you have to social distance when you go out to shops and, and you, you, you know, at work, we have to count the number of people get, that can be in an office at any given time and regulates that. It's a lot of changes, how you are in your own private space at home, how you will be at work. And of course, we have a, a lot of staff members who have young children as well. So you also have to see how they will cope with working from home with children, which many of them with young children are finding it quite difficult. And we also need to make sure that uh, when we make the adjustment for people to work from home, it does not end up being women who work from home and men go to the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to have a policy position and be very, very uh, attentive to that because uh, we could have an unintended consequence where women end up staying at home, men going to the office, and that on its own becomes another dynamic that we don't want. But have you noticed as well, though, um, something we've been writing about in the Irish Times is that fathers are connecting more with their children in some situations because they're at home. And And that's a positive development for women as well, I suppose. Yeah, especially young fathers, um, I think they are really uh, embracing the crisis and seeing a a silver line and using it in the most uh, constructive way. And that has to be uh, celebrated. And I think if we end up with people working uh, uh, from home for longer times, I think uh, we should be encouraging a man to, to work from home. And I hope that uh, that would, on its own will be a way of redistributing uh, unpaid care work uh, and making sure that uh, it is shared uh, in the best interest of the family and children. And um, finally, um, you work in UN Women. It's a big organization. It's dealing with so much. When we think of the issues for women across the world, they're so varied. It's so deep and wide. Does it feel overwhelming or do you feel like the work that you're doing with UN Women is making a difference and that women's lives and experiences are going to improve in the future because sometimes it can just feel so daunting. You think of everything from FGM to child marriage to all the economic and various um, issues that affect women all over the world. It's a lot. Um, But are are you kind of someone who has your glass half full and kind of uh, thinks things are getting better? Yeah, I have to say that uh, COVID hit us so bad. And uh, it threatens to erode the gains that we were making. It also exposes how deep the problems um, are. Uh, So I think the class uh, has been uh, half full as we were moving, thinking of 2020 as the year to celebrate 25 years of Beijing, you know, counting the progress that was made, looking at where we have the gaps. COVID has made the half full glass reduce a little bit. So we, we almost have taken a few steps back, but we have to believe that we can build forward. We really have to believe because uh, being discouraged is not an option. 
you know, uh, we just have to keep on keep on trying because uh, all these issues are important and there's lives of people at stake. Well, thank you very much for all the work you do. And I hope you get back to an office at some point. It sounds like it doesn't suit you at all working from home. <laughs> and let's hope, like you say, that we keep that kind of positive attitude because it can feel overwhelming and daunting. The amount of of stuff that needs to be worked out, especially for women and girls around the world. But um, I'm very glad someone like you and all your colleagues are working towards that. So thank you and uh, good luck. OK, thank you very much. And that's it for today. Thanks very much to my guests, Fumzilla Malambo Naguka and Megan O'Neill. If you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at IT Women's Podcast. And we're on email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.